Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host Ben Kreider and today we're going to be discussing the latest injury updates on Lou Dort, Ty Jerome, and Mike Muscala. They're all out for the rest of the season so I'll tackle that, what that's going to look like for the roster moving forward and what we saw from them this season and I'm also going to be talking about the Thunder's latest game against the Milwaukee Bucks and to top it all off guys I have a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook so you do not want to miss out on that but kicking things off here guys I want to talk about the injury report and normally how I schedule things on the pod I talk game recap then I get to some of the extras but this in of itself could have been worth an emergency pod if I needed to do so. So I think this is something that I think is more notable uh, given how the game panned out Tuesday night. Uh, but you look at the injury report and OKC has been running on thin ice really since we got out of All-Star Weekend. They got SGA back, which is great. But you look at the return there, a lot of guys have trickled out of the rotation. Josh Giddy hasn't been there. Lou Dort's been gone. Kendrick Williams, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, Mike Muscala, Ty Jerome, Derek Favors, and even Isaiah Roby's flipped a little bit in terms of his availability. So they've taken just stone after stone, and they haven't been able to place 10 guys on the roster in probably a week and a half right now. So they have been looking anywhere for minutes you know they've played Poku a ton Olivier Saar is dropping 20 minutes per game now and they've really just had that system in place where it's next man up ninth man's playing a good chunk of time out there and you know they're making some sort of impacts they've been able to string together uh, some runs but you know as we found out it looks like this nine man rotation which seemed temporary you know might not be the case now because three guys have been ruled out for the remainder of the year Lou Dort, Ty Jerome, and Mike Muscala. And this comes directly from the press release we got from Oklahoma City yesterday. And this starts with Lou Dort. They stated Dort underwent a successful procedure Tuesday to address a labrum tear in his left shoulder. The procedure was performed by Dr. Neil Atare and Kerlin Job Institute of Los Angeles with Thunder medical personnel present. According to the team, Dort is expected to return to full basketball activities prior to the start of the 2022-2023 season. So he's done. Don't expect to see him in the gym in the next five weeks. This uh, looks to be one of the bigger surgeries out there with a full-on labrum tear in his shoulder. So... Might be the same type of timeline as what we saw from SGA last year. If there were to be any Olympics going on, probably wouldn't participate for Team Canada. This is going to be something that he is dealing with over the summer as well. So it is a pretty big injury here. You know, if this happened midseason, it'd still be pretty high up there on the severity list. He'd be missing a good chunk of game. So you have to wish the best for him with Lou. He has been dominant for OKC in his third season. Career high of 17 two points per game. Makes him the second highest on the team behind SGA. 4.2 rebounds and 1.7 assists. When you looked at his three ball this year, really up and down. Finished 33.2% on the year. 
shot almost eight attempts per game, 7.7. So he was relied upon a lot when it came to hitting those jumpers. So he did really, really well. Obviously, this is a step in the right direction for him. But, you know, when you do have a serious injury like that, you're going to have to take some time away. Wish the best for him and wish the best for Ty Jerome as well. He underwent a successful procedure also on Tuesday to address a sports hernia. The procedure was performed by Dr. William Myers at the Vincera Institute in Philadelphia with Thunder Medical Personnel present. When you look at his end stats, he averaged 7.1 points, 2.3 assists, and 0.8 turnovers in an under 20-minute roll on the year. So he didn't get to see as much playing time as last year, obviously because SGA is healthy. Trey Mann is kind of coming to his own. So it's been wavering. But you still got to see the same production in terms of assist to turnovers. Always has been a smart decision maker in that respect. And scoring-wise, he's been able to put down some shots as well. The one big thing, though, he did take a significant uh, plummet from downtown. He shot 42.3% last season on threes, just around four attempts per game. This season, averaged three attempts per game, shot just 29% on triples. And you can shock it up as whatever you want it to be. Maybe it's because he's playing kind of second fiddle to SGA, Giddy, all this, all that. I think he kind of had the same role last year. Maybe two to inconsistent minutes, uh, but you know, he's a damn good shooter. You know, you look at who's hitting the 30 footers, the 32 footers, it's going to be Ty Jerome. So we'll see what his future looks like with the team. This is one where, you know, I think he did have something to prove this season. He was amidst really a minute battle for the first two months, ended up winning it. And now, you know, he gets his thing cut short due to injury. When you look at his recovery rates, he should be playing basketball over the summer this is not as uh, rough as Lou Dort got things but yet again not going to see him playing uh, for the remainder of the season which is going to be about five more weeks and the same goes for Mike Muscala he had a successful arthroscopic procedure and an additional lateral ligament repair on his right ankle Procedure was performed by Dr. Robert Anderson at the Bellin Health Titletown Sports Medicine and Orthopedics in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Thunder personnel was also present for that. And just like Lou Dortz, Muscala is expected to return prior to the start of the 2022-23 season. So he's also sidelined with not just one, but two uh, things to deal with since he did have the lateral ligament repair on that ankle, and then also the arthroscopic procedure. And Muscala, debatably, has been Oklahoma City's most consistent, probably top three uh, consistent guy on the roster. Only averaged 13.8 minutes per game, but he averaged eight points in that sliver of minutes, three rebounds to go along with it, and he shot 42.9% on threes, easily the best sharpshooter on the roster, shot around four of those a night, and he's the 11th best catch-and-shoot player in the NBA. Minimum of three attempts, all set to tick up the games as well, because look, if you went four or four on catch-and-shoots and played one NBA game, I can't put you on the list, man, just kind of how it goes, uh, but he was 11th, 
at 42.9%. And that's the exact same statistic as what you saw in his overall um, shot chart there. And the reason why is all he was doing was just reaping benefits off of pick and pops and just kind of being a, a guy that hovers in transition. He's a really good guy when it comes down to being like a trailer for example, I remember on my old website, I broke down kind of how he plays. Lots of it are trailers where, you know, off of a rebound, SGA might push it up the court and he'll make sure to be the last guy to cross the timeline uh, to kind of create an odd uh, set of defense on the other side and it will leave him open more often than not. But yeah, 3.7 of his 3.8 attempts came off the catch. Virtually none of them came on the ball for Muscala give or take like 10 he probably took on the year but regardless of method he was getting points down six times this year he had more points than he did minutes on the night so with these three guys out you're missing a lot here not only just from a catch and shoot aspect because dort was really number one in terms of who was shooting the most threes muscala for the bench unit was shooting the most threes probably for centers as well and even Ty Jerome, that's kind of how he was able to get his high praise coming out of the draft class. Uh, but you're also losing a lot on the defensive end. And I think in particular, you look at Dort and Muscala as the guys that really hurt you in that category. You know, if the Thunder are playing a top-tier team and there happens to be a guy like a Steph Curry, like a James Harden, Probably want to try to put Lou Dort on them. Uh, so the Harden stopper, he's not going to be around. Going to have to look towards other guys like SGA, maybe Josh Giddy, Kenrich Williams, but also at the center spot. You might not think Mike Muscala is the greatest defender, but he's a center, and they don't have any big body guys playing right now. You have Olivier Saar, but he doesn't have the reps like Muscala does. And I'll tell you what, Darius Baisley and Isaiah Roby also are kind of lacking in that department so you lose out big time with him being gone with ty i think he's a solid defender don't get me wrong probably not the same uh, type of impact though that he would make compared to his two other teammates and with all three of these guys left and gone you're gonna see a void in the rotation now they've been trying to make some interesting lineups since they've kind of been out right like lindy waters got signed olivier sars gotten signed they've been able to fill up a good portion of those minutes and kind of fill in the gaps with some of your starters giving them additional like 33 to 35 minute cuts of things but you got to look at who's going to make the best one for one upgrade and who could probably benefit the most from a career standpoint and a paycheck standpoint from some of these injuries and they suck but do have to kind of look at that perspective. Where did the new minutes go? I think with Lou Dort, it's going to go to guys like Lindy Waters. Obviously, he just came off of his best game as a pro. I'll talk about it later, but he dropped 16 points on the game. So he looked good and they've been able to continue to play him really double digit minutes due to Dort not being there and Giddy not being there. That's a large slab that you just rip out. That's like all of the guard small forward minutes that you could have right but another guy in the cards is Kenrich Williams he's been gone since the all-star break probably been like three four weeks that he hasn't shown up and stepped on the hardwood he doesn't have a timetable to return I would assume though if he wasn't in that press release I don't think it's going to be a season ending injury it's very 
interesting how uh, the, that worked, actually, because I heard that those three all got their procedures on the same day and they couldn't do it earlier because they were all at the NFL Combine. I don't know if that's true, but I guess it would make sense. You have a lot of pro athletes in the same spot. Probably want to have really good sports medicine people around, so it kind of just works out that way. But they all got it, and yeah, Kenny Hustle was not there. So I'm going to assume he'll be back in probably two, three weeks to close out the year. Once he returns, I think putting him under the spotlight again would be pretty damn beneficial to the team. He played big time last season whenever injuries were flying around. There was one game against the Chicago Bulls last February that just sticks out to me. They pushed it to overtime, and I think they even won the game. He dropped about 16 points, 7 of 8 shooting, had a couple rebounds, maybe a couple steals in there, but I was just so mesmerized by his play. Dude is so smart. When it comes to the mid-range game, a lot of people like to shy away from it. Kendrick Williams is all about it, and he'll take it off of a catch. Also, in the post-up, he looks very comfortable, and he's looked good. Uh, also like as a catch and shoot guy and just cutting to the basket sneaky three level scorer who has a lot uh, to contribute on the defensive end as a pickpocket and just as a swiss army knife almost man can guard the two three or the four pretty proficiently so that would be the best fill-in for what dort provides you moving beyond that though looking at ty jerome's replacement it's been Teo Maladone, and the thing with Teo is he's been on a roller coaster. Like he was supposed to have a big role with the team, didn't work out that way. Trey Mann outlasted him, and then you had Ty Jerome win over the battle in December. Then he had that really good month of January with the OKC Blue, twenty point outing after twenty point outing. I think he ended it averaging about twenty three and a half points per game. I had some figure that I jotted down maybe two days ago. Uh, the leader in 20-point games for the Blue is DJ Wilson with 12. Second place is Teo with 5, and he didn't play a lot of games with them, all things considered. So he was really good, and then you got to see him play in February due to some of the injuries, in particular SGAs. And he had a couple good performances. 18-point game, also had that 22-point outing where he virtually couldn't miss from the free throw line. And now, I think that he's able to be option number four out of four in that guard unit. That's the magic number I've really pinned, uh, not just this year, but even last. Like, Dagnall really likes the aspect of having four combo guards in the rotation where they can really switch and you can have any combination of those four together and it would work out and Teo's gonna have to be the guy now and difference between last year to this year he was the on-ball starter he led the team in minutes didn't have SGA so he got to do his own thing now he has to be used more off the ball and I think that's one of the reasons he was so bad to begin the season I think stat wise and efficiency wise he very well could have been dead last in the NBA it was brutal but I think he's gotten a little bit back to earth. The catch-and-shoot game showed some bright spots in his rookie campaign, and he shot 40% from distance last month, so maybe he's able to give you something there. We know as a passer, he's pretty damn gifted, had some turnover issues, but I think his actual passing out outlasts that a little bit, 
And then the floater game just touch has been off. But yeah, I, I could see him being a guy that is the off ball to a giddy uh, in that second unit whenever you have to flip those rotations around. I'd imagine Trey Mann is going to be more of the on ball guy just due to his shot creation ability. If you're going to go straight um, straight up like Mann and Teo playing together, uh, I, I don't mind that combo though. And I would love to see a little bit more of that before he pivots into his third season and Mann makes that jump uh, into a sophomore. But I think he has the biggest opportunity now because the door has been reopened for him. Second round pick, looked good last year. Now he hasn't really looked worse. He has been climbing up a little bit, can have some final statements to uh, really make him an option going into next year. And some other guys that could turn into options are Isaiah Roby and Olivier Saar at that center spot. I don't think Muscala's role is actually big enough to really hand both Roby and Saar significant minutes as the season kind of winds down here. But... His injury, coupled with Favors's and JRE's, has given both of them pretty big avenues and a pretty big platform to show off. I think both of them have had their moments. I'd say Roby has done a better job in his time frame here. And they're still going to have a lot of chances. Until I think Jeremiah Robinson Earl comes back, they'll be in the rotation. I think with Favors returns, it's not going to be that big of a hit to either of them. But until JRE comes back, which is going to be like two, three weeks, that's a ballpark estimate from me, they'll be able to keep going at it. And hell, maybe by the end of it, they'll see both of them still playing by the end. It will be almost like last year where Moses Brown's running it out for you. They could sideline Derek Favors, and then you'll have Jeremiah Robinson on 24 minutes and change to fill up. Then you can cut it uh, to where everyone's really happy at that table of centers. But that's just kind of my take on it. Really sucks to see those three guys go down. They've all had really good moments this year. And I hope they'll be able to build off of it uh, next year, whenever we get to see them yet again. And you just hope for safe recoveries. But moving on into yesterday's game against the Milwaukee Bucks, I want to talk about what we saw in the game, some of the stars and some of the storylines that just continue to show up. First though, I want to talk to you guys about a very special offer going on with my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. College basketball fans, join the action on the court during the biggest tournament of the year with DraftKings Sportsbook. Turn your team's victory into your own big win. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. It's that simple. If they win, you win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still join the College Hoops action with DraftKings Pools. Everyone can play free pools all March long for a shot at a share of over 200 and $50,000 in prizes. Simply join a pool and answer questions like who will make it to the next round and who will hit the most three-pointers. Then track your results. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN 
bet $5 on any college hoops team to win, and get $200 in free bets if they do. If they win, you win with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. 21 plus, restrictions apply. See show notes for details. You guys can find that in the description of today's episode. Talking a bit about college hoops before we go into the game. I'm a big ORU fan. Saw that Sweet 16 run last year. I was in the maybe center whenever you saw the final moments of the ORU Ohio State game or Arkansas game, excuse me. That was devastating. I was hoping Max A. Smith could pull it off again for ORU. No Kevin O'Banner anymore. And it, it was still a one man band, but they could not get it done against North Dakota State. Very unhappy about that. I think South Dakota State ended up punching the summit ticket. It's going to be a really good March Madness, though. Cannot wait until we see the teams unfold on Sunday. Might bring you guys coverage on that, depending on uh, what we see uh, from the field of 68 there. But talking about the NBA action, I want to talk about yesterday's game against the Milwaukee Bucks. You go into this one, and you have Isaiah Roby back as a starter. Two games ago, he wasn't able to appear, had Bays there. Now he gets to return, and he gets to return to Milwaukee's group with Bobby Portis at the helm. And Bobby Portis is one of those like death traps, I would say, for a guy like Roby. Portis is a back-to-basket big, pretty athletic. He's not extremely tall, but we're going to go inside presence versus Roby's paint presence. I'm going to have to go with Bobby Portis any day of the week. And that's not even taking into account that Giannis Antetokounmpo, probably the best, if not the best slasher in the game, was face-to-face to them for just around 30 minutes in this game. So you tip off and you really only had SGA uh, doing a lot for the offense. And SGA has been killing it really all this month. First quarter numbers had him spew out 13 points and six assists. He had six of the team's eight assists, by the way, in that frame. But for um, for the box, I almost said the Jazz, Portis was destroying Four of six from the field, 10 points, had Giannis with seven, Middleton had seven, even Drew Holiday got in there with eight points. High scoring, but Milwaukee had them 39-34, to which all things considered is pretty damn good. Needed to limit Milwaukee though, because they did shoot uh, pretty well from distance in that first quarter. Second quarter came around, and then OKC just got hammered from the perimeter. Milwaukee shot 8 of 11, 37 points in this quarter. And OKC, even though they shot pretty well, they shot 60% from the floor, they were down double digits. Got outscored 37 to 31 in the frame. And you walked into the second half down. You had Giannis doing his deal. He had 18 points by half. Portis had 13 And then for OKC, SGA had 21 points. But how about Lindy Waters? 11 points on 4 of 6 shooting, 3 of 5 from downtown. No other stats besides the points for him, by the way. But he looked good, not just as a catch-and-shoot piece at the wing, but also pulling up in transition. That's something Grant Gibbs 
has really allowed players to do. When I recall last season, Rob Edwards was like the guy on left wing transition pull-ups. Now Lindy's doing it and he's transferred it over pretty well to the next level. Uh, But when you got Milwaukee just killing you, shooting 57.9% from three, yeah, they're going to be winning. And they were up 76 to 65 going into the second half. So not a lot of defensive presence was there. And OKC really couldn't hold them back in the third quarter either. 29 points for Milwaukee. OKC had 28. So they were hanging around, but just didn't have that real push in them. Same goes in the fourth quarter. This is one where it kind of got out of hand. Milwaukee was able to tie things together with their backup squad. Dropped 37 points again. And OKC fell off a cliff with only 22 points. Shooting 36.4% from the field. That's 8 of 22. It's not going to work in your favor. Milwaukee finished the game with 142 points. And when you get into the record books here, you get into the stat logs, 142 points on the surface looks like the most OKC has given up this year, but it's not. Remember that game in December where the Grizzlies dropped 152? Yeah, I I like to forget that happened, but it did. So this was their second most given up. Uh, But, you know, you can't really get your hopes that high that it was only the second second worst because this is still really freaking bad for okc they dropped 115 points so they ended up losing this one by 27 bit better than what we saw against the t wolves but obviously was not that great for oklahoma city you break down the actual end numbers here Giannis. Just strolled into town and dominated 39 points on 13 of 19 shooting, 4 of 4 from 3, 9 of 13 from the foul line, and had 7 rebounds and 7 assists to go along with it. Chris Middleton dropped 25 points, and Bobby Portis added 18 and 14 on 7 of 11 shooting. Serge Ibaka got to play his return, first time in a Milwaukee Bucks jersey. He got a bit of an ovation checking in and probably should have got an ovation for what he did in his 18 minutes, 14 points and seven rebounds on six of nine shooting and second round pick Sandro Mamushkilashvili dropped eight points and four rebounds in nine minutes. So everybody was sort of eating here. I think everybody who was active got to play for Milwaukee. Same worked out for OKC, but they were all going to play anyways. Let's not kid ourselves here. Uh, But yeah, Milwaukee had this one really start to finish. When you look at like the actual swings of things, Oklahoma City actually had a lead to begin the game. They had it up as much as six points, but kind of all crumbled apart by the end of the first quarter. And they were down really wire to wire outside of those first four to five minutes in all. But that doesn't mean... OKC didn't yield out some diamonds. Check the actual stats. They shot 41% from three, 16 of 39 there. And then they were able to get to the stripe 21 times, 15 to 21 for a 71.4% output. And they even had 26 assists on the game. I want to talk about the best of the best from the night though, because 
Defensively, they were bad. Offensively, there's some really good stories to pick apart from this, actually. And it starts with SGA. He's been a constant this entire time. There's been seven games since the All-Star break. He's dropped 30-plus in six of them and had 29 as the other filler. Just superstar numbers. He's averaging 33.3% points, I'm talking, from that span of games. And it's the third most in the league. And when you break down the totals, these other guys haven't played their seventh game yet. So he's number one in the NBA in points post-All-Star break. Dropped 33 on the night with 14 assists. And he dropped his 31 on an 11 of 18 shooting clip. He rolled over Milwaukee's defense just getting inside. If it wasn't going in, it was going to be a foul. Shot 8 of 12 from the free throw line. And Andrew Schlecht asked him a question like after the game, like, hey, you don't tend to get mad at the refs. He's kind of like, well, yeah. I mean, they're kind of giving me calls anyways. That's sort of the gist he got. Kind of chuckled afterwards. I thought that was good stuff because he does get to the line a lot off those slashes. And it's because you got to force contact on a talented player such as SGA. But he's been spectacular. Same goes with Lindy Waters. When he first got signed, I think I could have fielded like three or four names I would have rather had. And I thought about it like one for one upgrade. I said it from the start. I think Lindy was the best sharpshooter the OKC Blue had to offer. In terms of talent, might have sided towards a guy like Melvin Frazier Jr. or something. But the shooting is what Oklahoma City needs. They need to find these like strict archetype players and almost experiment to see how they fit with a guy like SGA. Like when SGA is looking to contend or the franchise is looking to contend, they're going to want to have sharpshooters. Let's add one right now and see how he's able to feed off of SGA. And Lindy Waters is not cream of the crop. I get it, but he's still pretty damn good when it comes to shooting from the perimeter. You can tell by how he played against the Bucks. 16 points in 25 minutes, ended up shooting over 10 attempts on this one, went 6 of 11 in all, 4 of 9 from 3, and rattled down 3 rebounds. This is something that is a big bright spot, not just catch and shoots, but the transitions I I talked about earlier. He was nice, and I think this is the one game where you can really build off of, and Anytime Lindy has stepped on the court the last like three, four games, there have been some bright spots you could pick apart. I think this was his biggest. Now he got cold late into the game, but I'm really not going to fret that much about it. I'm looking at peak Lindy Waters and that Lindy Waters is a catch and shoot guy that you can really bounce off of. Paul Watson Jr. never had a game even on this level. His best game was probably three layups and that was when they gave up 152 points, you know, so it's not saying... Uh, really that much. Lindy has been great, and I think he's shown why OKC tossed him that bone when a lot of people thought, you know, maybe he must have cut the line a little bit there. I think he's done pretty excellent, man. Proof is in the pudding. But same goes for Alexei Polkushevsky. Didn't look great going into the all-star break. He's come out of it. He's been a really good player. He was one of two guys on the night to have a positive plus minus on the game. Only other one was SGA at plus four, but he had plus two on the night and he played 28 minutes. So he was out there for a good segment of the game. I guess when he was off, it must've been minus 29. So 
Milwaukee was really steamrolling them whenever they didn't have uh, the seven footer in Poku, but he dropped 13 points, seven boards, and four assists with no turnovers coming off the bench. That's the biggest thing for me. It's not the points, it's not the rebounds, it's the assist to turnover ratio. His decision making has not been great since he's been with OKC, and it doesn't matter if it's with the Thunder or with the Blue. He'll have stupid shots. He'll have stupid passes. It's just part of the game. And it's been a matter of kind of growing pains. Like, hey, let's wait this out. Eventually, he'll figure things out. He's starting to figure it out now. And he has been a consistent, positive asset for Oklahoma City, actually. You know, typically, you rolled him out and it was actually a pair of die. You know, like, sometimes he's great. Other times... It's the worst possible role, and you're like, oh no, we got to get him out of the game. Definitely has not been the case <laughs> as of late. So I think he's been one of the best stories that we've seen uh, over February and March. And I'm pumped to see how he is able to do in tonight's matchup against the Minnesota Timberwolves. This is going to be a fun, kind of fun game, I'll say, because OKC does have some potential redemption here. That's where they got their 38-point thumping on Friday. And this game has some sneaky implications for a draft pick that should be going in OKC's direction. And you kind of have to preface this by saying, like, Oklahoma City's getting this draft pick anyways. No ands, if, or buts about it. But they could seal the deal officially tonight. And they don't even need to win the game. The Phoenix Suns are playing tonight. If they win... They have clinched their playoff berth. That's going to be the first team to do so. On the flip side, if OKC defeats the Minnesota Timberwolves, that eliminates them from a playoff seed, I believe. I think they could still get into a play-in. But that guarantees that the Suns will be in the top six and they won't have to deal with any play-in scenarios whatsoever. The way this plays into OKC's deal. They traded, or they actually got the Phoenix Suns 2022 first round pick in the Chris Paul deal. It was protected 1 through 12, and the Phoenix Suns have been the best team in the NBA all season long. With this playoff clincher, it's now officially going to be anywhere from 15 to 30, and in all likelihood, they're going to be probably like the 28th, 29th, or 30th um, draft pick by the end of this because they have like an eight-game advantage over the second-best team in the league, and then there's a bit of a drop-off by like half a game for the uh, two-way tie between the Heat and the Warriors, I believe. So, you know, if they don't win the championship, I guess you drop it down to 29. OKC is going to have this pick. It will just be a fun little thing to tweet out. You know, if OKC gets a win, that's the one good silver lining I guess or if Phoenix gets the win if Phoenix wins and OKC loses if you're in the tanking boat you should be a pretty happy camper I'm gonna be a happy camper regardless I want to see more of Isaiah Romy battling against Carl Anthony Towns we didn't get to see that last time um at least not enough so I'm pumped up to see it maybe Lindy continues his streak and you got SGA Maybe on the biggest hot streak of his life, just dropping 30-point games like it's nobody's business. Make it 7 out of 8 post-All-Star break. So I'll get you guys coverage on that in the next episode. Probably have another throw-in about the injury list here. If you guys have any 
other stories you'd like me to talk about, make sure to let me know. You guys can hit me up on my personal Twitter, at Ben Kreider, or hit up the pods, at ThunderstickPod. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.